0: Hello, my name is Thomas and welcome to this special edition of British culture, Albion never dies, the next Prime Minister. I don't often comment on big political events in the UK, but this is a pretty important one. Boris Johnson resigned, and so we are in the process of choosing our next Prime Minister. Why does it matter though? This is a a cultural podcast, but the Prime Minister is the most visible representation of the UK after the Queen. So, for example, when I lived in China, many Chinese people still kind of remembered Margaret Thatcher. Even young people all knew about her, and about her 1984 meeting with Deng Xiaoping that decided the future of Hong Kong. When I worked in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, and Oman, people often talked about, say, Tony Blair. It was a natural part of conversation to talk to me about the leader, the political leader of the UK. So whilst royalty remains the most prominent representation of the UK around the world, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, describing the Queen as the UK's number one asset. Prime Ministers are significant. They are the head of government. They take the lead on matters of political policy. They're the ones who sign international agreements. They're the people that people have often heard about around the world. And as I say, no matter where I am in the world, people, if they know I'm British, will often talk to me about who is the Prime Minister. So it does matter. Right now, the Prime Minister is Boris Johnson. He's been the Prime Minister since the 24th of July 2019, and what a long time ago that seems now. Uh, he was only the second Prime Minister to be born outside the UK. Uh, Bonar Law was born in New Brunswick, now Canadian province. He was Prime Minister between 1922, uh, October 1922 and May 1923. Um, but Boris Johnson is the first to be born outside the UK territory, as he was born in the Upper East Side of New York City. Now he'd been marred in personal scandal after three years and resigned, i say, on the 27th of July. And he's now serving as prime minister, awaiting a new leader, similar, I guess, to a lame duck president. There's no real, um, there's no real need for that in our constitution. He could have resigned and walked out that day and been replaced by, uh, by some kind of caretaker prime minister. But currently he's serving on and allowing the contest to simply unfold. Just a word on Boris Johnson, he's often kind of paired up with Donald Trump. They're both, you know, populist leaders uh, with distinctive personal styles, perhaps the hair. Um, Although Boris did describe being mistaken for Trump as, quote, one of the worst moments, end quote, of his life. (laughs) He was mayor of London in 2015 uh, when Trump stated there were no-go areas of London. And uh, Boris, Boris said Trump was, quote, a quite stupefying ignorance that makes him, frankly, unfit to hold the office of President of the United States. He would later comment, The only reason I wouldn't go to New York is the very real risk of meeting Donald Trump. Funnily enough, they would meet, and they got on perfectly fine. <laughs> As mayor, Boris uh, became famed for the Boris bikes that he really helped roll out. He didn't start the project, but he's the one who really took it through, took it through to fruition. Um, And so those boris bikes you can hire them ride around london there's still questions over the costing and things like that uh, but they are incredibly popular and of course he oversaw the olympics um, but he also oversaw new laws prohibiting alcohol on the tube uh, which is a bit of a change when i visit the capital i see those notices on the tube Um, so he's viewed with as a mixed record as having a mixed record in london as prime minister uh, he got brexit done that's what he was elected to do he did it um then of course he caught covid in the early days of the pandemic uh, was hospitalized um, and ultimately pulled through and oversaw the most successful vaccine rollout in europe i must say with no mandates nobody's been uh, forced to have it who didn't want it but it has been the most successful rollout of vaccines in in the world his downfall however is very much down to his personal characteristics. Um, The news cycle over the last, especially six months, has followed a very, very regular pattern. Boris Johnson lies. He sends out ministers to lie on his behalf and got caught out. That happened with a lobbying scandal in which someone was found to have broken the rules. Boris Johnson changed the rules to make what he did allowable, as it was one of his friends. He then with regards to lockdown parties he was accused of attending a party during lockdown breaking the rules that he had written very simply he lied he sent out ministers to lie on his behalf and he got caught out and was fined by the police the first ever prime minister to be done by the police Um, and many people thought that would be the breaking point that he would have to step down after that Um, but he clung on Determined to stay on uh, despite the cries from Parliament saying that he should go. But it was a very minor case, ultimately, of uh, a very minor figure, Mr. Pincher, um, who apparently uh, cannot keep his hands to himself when he gets drunk. And Boris Johnson said he had no knowledge that he was like that. But that was a lie. And he sent out his ministers to lie on his behalf, got caught out. the quote coming out: "Pincher by name, pincher by nature," and these ministers who've been sent out again and again and again to lie have ultimately said it. It's they can't carry on. Um, I think it was 58 of them resigned in a single day. So that triggered his his resignation on issue of trust. Although, as one person put it, the British government has fallen because one man has pinched another man's bottom. <laughs> course there's more to it than that but we now enter the stage where we have to choose a new prime minister and that is a very very interesting process i think i hope you'll think so uh, the prime minister is simply whoever leads the largest political party in the house of commons or the largest coalition whoever appears to be able to get legislation through so house of commons of course started to evolve in about the 13th century so whoever's the head of that is considered the prime minister and they're invited to form a government by the monarch. The prime minister is not directly elected by the population but when people vote in general elections they're actually voting for their local representative but many people don't know their local representative so they'll make their decision on the party of the prime minister. There's no official start date for prime minister it's gradually evolved over time. Robert Walpole is often considered the first leading the government from 1721 If you accept him as one, he's also the longest-serving Prime Minister of around 30 years. He generally went with First uh, Lord, First Lord of the Treasury, um, and again the first person who was kind of officially referred to as the prime minister is often considered sir henry campbell bannerman again he was considered prime minister but he also had many other titles again first lord of the treasury there's a range of titles for whoever is leading that biggest party in the house of commons the first person to use it kind of officially internationally was benjamin disraeli as late as 1878 he signed the treaty of berlin as prime minister of her britannic majesty Um, But again, it's one title of many, and it's gradually evolved over time that we accept Prime Minister as the title of whoever leads the government. It's interesting, this gradual evolution. Maybe it does get deep into our culture. I was a manager in China for about five years, and some of the feedback I had on, on myself, from a Chinese manager I worked very closely with, was Thomas prefers evolution to revolution. He likes to make changes piece by piece and not in a single fell swoop. Um, Whereas, of course, the Chinese inclination, especially among a lot of Chinese managers I worked with, was they wanted revolution, they wanted it now, they wanted it yesterday. Um, Whereas I followed the standard business model of you present your problem, you present some possible solutions, you have a bit of back and forth as you take on people's ideas and feedback, and you gradually get to that new change, and then you solidify that new change. It's a process. That's what the School of Management teaches, but perhaps, perhaps this is also something that's quite deep, and it's quite cultural as well. I so say this is how our government has evolved, piece by piece by piece. Right now, there are 650 members of parliament, and again, a general election is when all 650 constituencies have an election at the same time. They're separate, but they're at the same time. The government calls this with a term limit of five years. But they can call it much, much sooner. So it's quite unlike, for example, American elections, which have that election cycle. Ours is organic. It happens when it happens. One Member of Parliament represents about 92,000 people, or 68,000 electors, some of those people are children. Um, that does vary across the country. The Scots, for example, are overrepresented by agreement, by the Act of the Union. Um, these Members of Parliament are actually very, very easy to meet. I met my local Member of Parliament uh, a few months ago. I didn't travel very far. She has her surgery every week. Uh, you simply have to telephone her uh, telephone her constituency office or email. But imagine you can tweet her as well. Uh, I didn't try that. I just telephoned and made my appointment. And so she has her surgery in different parts of a constituency, so I was very lucky. I just walked about five maybe ten minutes <laughs> up the road and uh, met her in uh, an old church and uh, I, was, I was very cautious because I thought well maybe she doesn't have much time um, so I really tried to keep it as short as possible but actually she had lots of questions to ask me about an issue I had um, my wife's visa and she was actually very good she gave me a lot of time um, in fact I got Kind of got invited to this through a letter through the post. Um, so MPs are very, very, very accessible. Perhaps for some people listening outside the UK, it's interesting to note there was no metal metal detector going in. I was just going into a church. There's no huge security arrangement around, and this has been questioned. Very sadly, there was a member of Parliament who was stabbed at his surgery in 2001, Uh, so David Amos would ultimately die of his wounds. Um, This was uh, someone in his constituency who sympathised with the Islamic State, and so identified him as a target. This fanatic was caught by two unarmed plainclothes policemen. Um, They simply had they had trunctions and they had pepper spray, uh, but they were able to bring him down. Apparently, the, the fanatic thought that he could stab the MP and would then be shot by police. Um, but he was put on trial, and it did lead to a review of MP's safety, and it was ultimately decided that our democracy is more important, simply that our MPs should be as accessible as possible, and that this is such an exceptional case um, that it should not change what we do. Um, so MPs, I say, are very, very, very accessible, and if you want to go and watch what happens in Parliament in the main chamber, you simply talk to your Member of Parliament and you can, you can book a seat and go watch it yourself. So I say that accessibility, that personal connection, very, very, very important in British democracy, and these are the people who would ultimately choose the Prime Minister. They'd choose their own party leader, as I say, if it's the biggest uh, party in Parliament, then they'd automatically be Prime Minister. So looking back, thinking back, really, um, to previous prime ministers and their elections. So in 1979, Margaret Thatcher was elected and she came to power in a general election. Um, she was the leader of the Conservative Party. She led their election campaign. The Conservative Party won, so she became prime minister and she'd win again in 1983, 1987. But then she'd be removed by an internal party process in 1990. John Major would become Prime Minister again through the party process, and we wouldn't have an election until 1992. His uh, majority was significantly reduced, um, but he remained as Prime Minister, and then in 1997, Tony Blair led the Labour Party uh, in an election, and Blair became Prime Minister, again also winning you know, two further times, 2001, uh, 2005, both times with a uh, majority reduced. Again on that occasion, he, Tony Blair, would step down in 2007 and Gordon Brown, again Labour, became um, Prime Minister again through a party process Um, and the first election he fought was in 2010, which he lost, giving us the Prime Minister David Cameron uh, in the election Um, and he was an interesting Prime Minister, um, although seen as, you know, he went to a public school, which in the US would be called a private school. He was very much one of the elite. But he opened up politics uh, through multiple referendums, so in 2011 he had a referendum of the voting system, Though it's thought he didn't personally believe in it, he gave people the choice. Um, in 2014, that's when we had the Scotland referendum, which again he campaigned against Scottish independence but he gave people the choice. Um, we had a general election in 2015, Cameron increased his majority, and then in 2016 we had the EU referendum, which uh, Cameron wanted us to stay in the EU. The public voted to leave and so he resigned um, giving us Theresa May uh, again just through a party process the next year she had an election reduced majority and then in 2019 July Boris Johnson uh, becomes Prime Minister again through a party process and then 2019 a general election so we see that separation between general elections and you know becoming Prime Minister and it's kind of interesting how it almost alternates Thatcher election, Major, party process. Blair, election, Brown, party process. Cameron, election, May, party process. And then Johnson, party process. And then whoever's next, a party process. So, at the moment, we're siding towards the party process. So, of course, if it's a different governing party, it's a different method. Right now, the Conservative Party is the biggest party in Westminster. Um, There's 358 uh, Conservative Members of Parliament, 270 men, 88 women, and what will happen and what has been happening is that the members vote on all the candidates who put themselves forward, one will be removed, then they'll have another round of voting, one will be removed, and so on and so on. This is all overseen uh, by the 1922 committee who oversee the voting rules. So last time uh, one candidate needed a dozen backers, this time there's so many candidates uh, each Uh, candidate needed 20 backers but even then we ended up with quite a large number and they've been eliminated and eliminated in multiple rounds ultimately two will be left and these are being voted for by their colleagues in parliament the 358 conservative members of parliament they are voting for this and when there's two that will go out to the general membership so all those throughout the country who who pay their 25 quid a year to be members of the Conservative Party. It's an interesting process. So who's up for it? Um, I believe I'm recording this just as a vote is about to take place so this is going to be out of date already but over the weekend actually on friday and sunday there were two tv debates each of them about an hour and a half with the five candidates that were then uh, running um so penny mordaunt has captured a lot of media attention formerly a sub-lieutenant in uh, the royal naval reserve she <laughs> Given her initials, Penny Mordaunt has the memorable slogan PM for PM, and she's the lead in many polls throughout the country. And that's interesting. She doesn't have the most number of backing within the members of Parliament. We're not sure who's the most popular among the party membership, but among the general uh, population, she's been doing very, very well. Liz Trust um, is the next candidate, I list them in no particular order, Um, I think just one of the standing orders for one of the debates. Um, Liz Trust has been Foreign Secretary, Uh, she's a Yorkshire lady from Leeds and uh, she has the standard phrase that she came out with in the second debate, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. She's running on being basically a trustworthy candidate and also a proven candidate with her foreign policy experience. One candidate that even though i follow politics quite closely and i do watch the debates in bbc parliament and i rarely do follow politics very very closely but i'd never heard of her her name was kemi badenoch and she was born in london and raised in the uk nigeria the us her parents of course are nigerian um was a mcdonald's worker at university so she's not from the most privileged background um which may help her funny enough it's the house of commons not the house of lords um, She has come across as a surprising candidate, Uh, surprisingly good, surprisingly likable. Um, Give my own two penny view. None of them have given their views on my podcast, but I'll give my view on them. It's just that she's probably the candidate I would most like round for dinner. (laughs) She just seems nice. Um, Rishi Sunak is the candidate with the most number of backers in Parliament. So his own colleagues back him. He was the Chancellor under Boris Johnson has been heavily reported you know his his wife is a millionaire um, and was non domiciled in the u k when he was passing uh, certain tax policies in the uk so there's been a lot of talk over that he's very much having been to such an expensive school he's very much in the mold of say boris johnson or cameron um so there are questions whether he would actually attract people from outside the conservative party but he is the lead uh, among his parliamentary colleagues and his presentation is without doubt very very slick another outside runner and the final candidate is Tom Tugendhat, uh, a veteran of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee since 2017. Um, he made waves in the initial debate on Friday on Channel 4 when they were asked, um, you know, is Boris Johnson trustworthy? And many of them gave very, very long answers, and he just simply said, no. And uh, received rapturous applause (laughs) as a response of course channel 4 chose its audience to represent the country not the party and it's the party that is deciding so there will be a significant difference and that was interesting channel 4 did theirs with uh, the audience kind of asking questions and the host really just picking members of the audience and controlling time whereas on sunday it was independent television itv that ran their debate with the host very much directing questions to the candidates herself. Don't recall seeing in an audience, uh, but also getting the <laughs> getting the candidates to ask questions of each other. So that was really interesting to watch. There's two debates. I've watched a good three hours of it. I must say, all candidates have a lot to recommend to each other, and all of them were actually saying that about each other, and were saying, you know, if I'm prime minister i can see the talent here and i'd love to employ it basically uh, so it seems that they will be happy to work with each other it's just a question of who will be primus and De paris first among equals so we have a new prime minister coming very very shortly and uh I said, well we should get that new prime minister in september for now we're just going through these parliamentary votes until we get the final two candidates and i shall be watching it with great interest thank you for joining me Goodbye.